20 years ago, I found myself in a predicament. Uh, at least in my eyes, it was a predicament. I was one month away from getting married to my now wife, Laura. Uh, we had made preparations. Most of the planning was done. Uh, friends and family were ready to come. We were ready to start our life together. The only problem is I didn't have a job, and I felt like a total failure leading in to our marriage. Uh, Laura, Laura was enrolled in graduate school, and I had recently withdrawn from graduate school. I'd spent a year, it was a good year, a pretty successful year, in physical therapy school. thought that that's what I wanted to do. I had a science background. I love sports. It seemed to me that that was a good plan. But I was inwardly stirring inside, and God was calling me to be a pastor and to prepare as a pastor. So I withdrew, and the plan was for us to be married two years. I would work, and then I would volunteer at my local church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. I have a good mentor there named Jeff Arnold. I would do some volunteer work. I would get a chance to preach and maybe lead some small groups and just grow as a volunteer in the life of the church all the while be mentored by, by a man that I really respected. And then after those two years, would go on to seminary, had my eyes set on Gordon-Conwell, which is what brought us up here 18 years ago. But that plan, solid as it was, involved me having a job for two years and supporting my wife as she was in school for two years at the University of Pittsburgh, getting a public health degree. I felt like a colossal failure. You know what it is to search for a job for months and nothing comes? Didn't happen in my timing. The plan seemed solid, but it wasn't working out according to my plan. I was desperate and demoralized. And I remember a conversation I had with a, uh, a campus pastor that I had who encouraged me uh, during times just to seek the Lord, to pray, and to fast. I had never fasted in my life. I had read all about it in the scripture. I'd been through the scriptures a couple times at this point in my Christian development, but I'd never actually fasted before. And so one month before uh, our wedding day, I decided I was going to take a day and I was going to fast. I was going to seek the Lord, seek his guidance, seek his protection, seek his provision. And so I fasted. I was living at home at the time. And my mother is the consummate mother and provider. She, I mean, she, she loves to cook and I love to eat. And I'm happy to be waited on to, to Lars agony. She's like, Dane, I'm, I'm not here to wait on you. I'm like, all right, but my mom did that. She, Dane, I'm not here to wait on you. Okay, I'll put the dishes away. So she was like, breakfast pass. I'm in the house. It's hard to be, you know, secretive about fasting. She's like, you're not eating. I said, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to eat. She's like, oh, okay. Lunch came. Didn't come to lunch table. It's like, what's, what's wrong? She knows something's up. And so my mom's astute, pretty aware, comes up to me and, and says, just privately, she said, Dan, you're fasting, aren't you? And I said, yes, mom. And she didn't say another word. She says, I understand. I'm not going to bu bug you anymore about meals. And in that moment, I just appreciated my mom's awareness and her application of Jesus' words in the scripture about fasting. It's a private matter not a broadcasted matter. I felt a little bit awkward. I'd never done it before, but I didn't want to like, I knew enough in the scripture that you're not to just blow a trumpet and say, I'm fasting. And so I wanted to be private, but I'm living in a household with a mom who loves to cook and a kid who she thinks likes to eat. And I wasn't eating, but she was astute enough and aware enough and applied the Bible well enough not to make a big deal about it. And I always remember that. She just sort of 
kindly encouraged me as I fasted and sought the Lord. Brothers and sisters, fasting is not about drawing attention to yourself. Fasting is about drawing your attention to God. That's the idea that I want to win you over to. Fasting is not about drawing attention to yourself. It's about drawing your attention to God. We must fast for the right attention. That's the thesis here in our passage for this morning. We must fast for the right attention. Let's turn on our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, you can find that on page 811. And if you need a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. Plenty of Bibles in the lobby on the bookcase. Please feel free to take one of the black hardback Bibles. We're continuing in our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount that we started in September. Uh, the title of this sermon series is The Ways of the King because in the Sermon on the Mount, we see the ethic of Jesus' kingdom, the, the, the characteristics and the qualities of his kingdom, what it looks like to live under his right rule. So the ways of the king will be in this series uh, through the early May. Let's read together Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, we find this mini-series within the broader series of the Sermon on the Mount. I've mentioned this for the last couple months. We've been camping out in this mini-series. And really the big idea of the mini-series is beware religious showmanship. Jesus is warning us against practicing the spiritual disciplines, giving, praying, and now, in this case, today, fasting. Practicing those spiritual disciplines for all the wrong reasons. And wrong reason number one is the praise of people. The affirmation, the approval of other human beings. He warns us against religious showmanship. He kicks this little mini-series off in Matthew 6, verse 1. If you just scan back up there, and we'll do a little bit of review work. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Uh, he's warning us against doing the spiritual disciplines. Healthy things for us to do, but they must be done from the right motivation, from the right heart and it can't be from seeking approval and applause and the pat on the back from people all around because when that's your focus when that's your aim that's all you'll ever get and that's the sobering irony here is when that's what you're after that little fleeting reward of a pat on the back and the praise of people that's all you're ever going to get and it's never enough and you'll seek and you'll seek for more approval it's never enough it'll never fill up your tank there's only one who's going to fill up your tank, only one approval, one affirmation. It's from the Lord. So he's warning us against this. 
He goes on to provide three examples. This is not an exhaustive list of, of the spiritual disciplines, but three important ones. He starts with giving. We covered that in December. He moves on to praying. We covered that in January. And now he's on to fasting. I would argue the least understood and least practiced spiritual discipline in our Christian culture anyways. Not in all cultures, but I think it's safe to say this is one we would do well to spend some time on and to think carefully about. In a culture of abundance materially, Christians are wise to think about fasting. So what Jesus does is he re reveals to us the, the true and the false motivations uh, in exercising the spiritual disciplines. This is an interesting sermon to preach on Super Bowl Sunday, also known as Super Snack Day. It's one of my favorite days of the year. I have a... In college, it was known as the snack master. I'd come home after like studying, and it's 11 o'clock at night, the time when you should not be getting your hands into Chex Mix and Doritos, but I, I just, I like savory snacks more than sweet snacks, like my, my wife does. She likes the sweet, I like the savory. Super Bowl Sunday is super snack day. The chips and the salsa and the Rotel dip and the little pigs in a blanket. Oh, and my friend Angela Westra, who used to attend here, made my favorite, the stadium snack sampler. You know what this is. Pretzels, chips, the green turf field is guacamole dip that you dip into there, tear up the field, and then the carrots and the broccoli just to make you feel a little bit better about yourself and your, your calorie intake. What a sermon to preach on Super Bowl Sunday, but we're going to go at it nonetheless. Now, if you've been following along in this little mini-series on beware of practicing your righteousness before others, you're going to pick up on, I'm, I'm essentially preaching the same, same sermon over and over again. It's got the same thesis, the same thrust of warning against religious showmanship, but the applications are different when you think about giving and praying and now fasting. So you're going to hear some repetition, and that's fine. It reinforces uh, that, that warning, but we're also going to have uh, a time to think strategically about fasting. What does it look like for us for you, perhaps, to let this be a little bit more frequent in your spiritual disciplines. I think that would be a good goal, a good take-home for us to think carefully about fasting more regularly as a part of our spiritual exercising. So what I want to do in the sermon is just to pull the curtain back a little bit on fasting and give us a little bit of a scriptural survey of, of fasting as we see it in the Bible. What applications should we consider? Why should we fast? So the title of this is Fasting for the Right Attention. Fasting for the Right Attention. And we find in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, the people there are fasting for the wrong attention, aren't they? Fasting is not about drawing attention to yourself. It's about drawing your attention to God. And that's how we're going to structure our time uh, this morning is first fasting is not about drawing attention to yourself We'll see this in the text and then secondly We're going to transition to seeing fasting is about drawing your attention to God we'll, we'll land there. We'll conclude there. So first fasting is not about drawing attention to yourself Take a look at what Jesus says in verse 16 Just first by way of observation here. 
He says, and when you fast. Notice what he doesn't say, and if you fast. Jesus presupposes his people will fast. He said the same thing about giving, and when you give, not and if you give. He presupposes that his people give regularly, cheerfully, joyfully, right? He said the same thing about praying, and when you pray, not if you pray. So these are spiritual disciplines that he expects his people to practice as part of his kingdom citizens. Fasting is a valuable spiritual discipline. It creates an awakening in our souls, a laser focus on our need for God, such that when the pangs of hunger ache in your gut, it's a prompt to pray to the Lord who sustains you. It's a reminder that you live, yes, by bread, but not by bread alone. You need the Lord because in him you live and you move and you have your being. Fasting provides a way of laser focus on the Lord, heightening, quickening our dependence on him. It's a beautiful thing that we ought to practice more regularly to draw our attention and our focus on him. He assumes, he presupposes that his people will fast. He says in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. So Jesus is providing a negative example here, an example not to follow. He's referring to the religious professionals of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, who liked to show what they were doing religiously, whether it was giving and blowing a, a trumpet or praying long, verbose prayers publicly or fasting and not dressing themselves up at all. So it was obvious that they were fasting. We'll, we'll talk in a moment about what they did and what they did not do to hide the fact that they were fasting. Jesus uses this name for them, Hypocrites. This is the third time that he's used this. Hypocrite. We talked about this two times prior now. The word hypocrite means to act the part in a play, to masquerade. So Greek actors would put on different masks depending on what part in a theatrical performance they were playing. You are presenting somebody that you aren't really. You're acting. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. You're presenting a front that you aren't true to in your actual being. That should not be for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus. There needs to be wholeness, consistency, integrity before the front that we pre present to people and who we actually are. No masquerading, no mask wearing. Be true to who you are. Consistent in your inner and outward being. What does Jesus say they're ultimately motivated by? Well, he says, they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Their motivation is the eyeballs of others, the notice of others. They crave people looking at them and affirming them as hyper-religious people. They want to be seen by others. They disfigure their faces. The, the idea here is to, to neglect themselves. They didn't wash themselves. 
you've probably read in the scripture, uh, fasting with sackcloth and ashes. Have you ever read that in the Bible? Or repenting in dust and ashes or in sackcloth and ashes. These are symbols of lowliness and humility. Oftentimes around repentance of sin or grieving the loss of a loved one or, or a great battle that was lost in Israel, they, 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 they get sackcloth, like lowliness. I can't even get really good garments. Just, I'll get in a potato sack. I'm lowly. Put ashes on. I'm just like low as the dirt, just, just dust and ashes. Like it's a, it's a posture of humility and lowliness before the Lord. So their fasting involved ashes or dust on the head. And so when Jesus says that they don't wash themselves or they, they disfigure their faces, what he's actually saying, you're neglecting regular hygiene that would otherwise hide the fact that you're fasting. So you would go around like sometimes on Ash Wednesday, Wednesdays in our culture, you know who just got ashed on the head. You ever see somebody with a little bit of ash, like, I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, but Jesus is pointing out, like, you didn't, you didn't wash up your face. So it's obvious to others that you are fasting. And later on, he says, no, go anoint yourself. Put on some makeup. Wash up so that it's not clear that, that that's what you're doing. No, they left it dirty so people knew that they were fasting and they wanted people to know. That's what this disfigure or neglecting themselves was all about. They were happy to leave their faces ash-covered because they wanted to be seen. And Jesus says, this should not be. Don't ever publicize your physical hardship when fasting. Fasting is not done to draw attention to yourself. Otherwise, you empty it of its meaning. You empty a gift, a spiritual discipline, of its meaning. One author that I enjoy reading, D.A. Carson writes, no voluntary act of spiritual discipline should ever be done as an occasion for self-promotion. Otherwise, you empty the spiritual discipline of its value. The spiritual disciplines are not practiced for self-promotion. They're practiced to draw your heart and my heart to the Lord who loves us, who wants to commune with us and have fellowship with us. Why? Are we ultimately fasting? We've got to ask that question. What's the motivation behind it? And any spiritual discipline, praying, giving, reading the word, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we after the praise of people or are we after intimacy with God? That's a key question, the diagnostic question that gets at our motivations. Are we after the approval of others or are we after the approval of our Lord? If we're ultimately after the praise of people, sadly, that is all we will ever get. And this is what Jesus says over and over again. He said it during the giving part of the sermon. He said it during the praying. And now he says it again during fasting. Notice what he says, verse 16. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. It's a tragic, empty irony. When you're after the praise of people, that's all you ever get. And friend, it's never going to satisfy us. You keep coming back to it for another applause or another pat on the back, and you're just going to need another one and another one. It's never going to satisfy. It will never fill your tank. This word receive in verse 16 literally means to receive a sum in full, in total. That's it. That's all the reward you get. And Jesus is begging us, like, don't go after that. It's not what you want. There's a better reward better gift to seek. 
The reality is seeking after the praise of people is like chasing after the wind. Do you ever try to catch wind in your fingers? Never going to catch it. Always slips through. Human praise is fleeting. That earthly pat on the back will never be enough. True satisfaction cannot be found in man's approval. It's only found in the reality that you are approved by your creator through faith in Christ. That's where we are affirmed and satisfied. And that's the the blessing of the gospel, the gift that God gives us. Acceptance, approval, not based on our merit, but on Christ's. Jesus is after our hearts, the motivation behind all that we do, including our spiritual disciplines. He desires that we fast from a pure heart, a heart that seeks him and not the praise of people, and therein lies the reward. Seeking him, time with him, communion with him, there is the reward. He says in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Anoint your head with oil, wash your face. In other words, do the opposite of looking gloomy, and neglecting yourself, tidy up so that people don't know that you're fasting. Be discreet. Your reward is ultimately your father, his eyes, his affirmation, his encouragement to you. He says your father is in secret. In other words, your father occupies the private places in your life. The father knows what you and I do. We truly do live our lives before an audience of one. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's the one that we have to seek after. He sees all that we do. He knows the motivation behind our every act. He knows the motivation behind our spiritual disciplines, why we read the scripture, why we pray to him, and if we fast, why we fast. He sees in the secret places. He plums the deep recesses of our hearts, and he knows everything before him All are laid bare, the Bible says. There's no need to pretend that he doesn't know. He sees everything about us. It's an encouragement just to come clean before him. He sees it all already. The reward of our faithful fasting is God himself. Intimacy with him. Closeness with him. Communion with our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. That is the ultimate reward in this life and in the next life. Relationship with God, communion with God. That's what the whole Bible is about. That was separated, which was separated in the Garden of Eden. Christ pursues us. God pursues us through the work of Christ to bring back that communion and that intimacy. And we receive it by faith in this life and we have it forever secure in the next life. Intimacy, communion with God, the, blessed, the best blessing in all the scripture. That's what Jesus is holding out to us. Go after closeness with your Lord. Nearness to your Savior. That's the reward that we must seek. Not the attention, the fleeting reward of others. Now, it seems that Jesus is saying, you need to fast to gather the eyes of the Lord on you. 
are we trying to get God's attention through the spiritual disciplines? This is very important where we can kind of go awry here. Do we read our Bibles and pray and fast and come to church to gather God's attention? No. That's transactionalism in a relationship with God. That is works-based interactions with God, not grace-based. We don't do these things kind of tit-for-tat to merit God's favor. That's not what the spiritual disciplines are about. So yes, it says the eyes of the Lord are on you. We want to please him. But ultimately, these spiritual disciplines draw us near to God. Josh Lynn's a, a member here. He shared this illustration with me. I don't know who he got it from, but it was so good today on Thursday when we were FaceTiming. If you've ever been in a boat, a little, little motorboat, and you're done water skiing or whatever, and then you have to do what's called mooring that boat to the shoreline or to the dock. You throw a rope, somebody on the dock ties it, and then you can pull that rope. Now, what happens? Are you pulling the shore to your boat, or are you pulling your boat to the shore? You're, you're, you're pulling your boat to the shore. You're drawing nearer to the shore. And so it is with praying, fasting, seeking the Lord, coming to church. You're, 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 you're not pulling God to you. Like you're, you're drawing near to him. Your attention is laser focused on him. You're, you're drawing nearer and nearer to him. That's the imagery in the self-disciplines. We're drawing nearer to him. We're not sort of meriting him to come, you know, come to, we're, we're drawing near to him. Our focus is directed to him. The gospel says there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. He's given it to us freely in Christ. We receive it by faith. And then he subsequently gives us the spiritual disciplines, reading the word, praying, fasting, so that we can keep focus on him, look to him, drawing nearer to him in fellowship. Fasting is not about drawing attention to yourself. Second, fasting is about drawing your attention to God. Here's a brief, very brief survey of reasons people fast in the Bible. I'm just going to give you three brief ones. First, grief. Expressing grief. One example, 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 13. Saul and his sons tragically die. As a result of Saul's unfaithfulness, his wicked pursuit of David, his successor, he dies. And friends, it's tragic when he dies. It's sad when he dies. And Israel mourns, grieves over his death. And part of that grief is a community fast. They abstain from food. So in the Bible, you'll see fasting during grief. In the Bible, you also see fasting during times of repentance. Fasting during times of repentance. In 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 6, Samuel, the judge of Israel, calls Israel out for its idolatry. They're running after the Baals and they're worshiping Asherah poles. And Samuel calls them out and urges them, begs them to repent. And they do. And they say, we have sinned against the Lord. And they proclaim a fast. 
in sackcloth and ashes. They're, they're lowly before the Lord, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins. So we see fasting during grief. We see fasting during repentance. Thirdly and finally, it's a broader category of fasting, but we see fasting during times of earnest seeking of the Lord. Now, you can say that that would include grief and repentance, and that would be true, but we see in Scripture times where people are seeking the Lord for provision or protection or for simply just guidance and direction in their, in their dark way. So Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, Ezra is headed back to the promised land, taking a host of Israelites with him, and he proclaims a fast seeking protection from the Lord on the journey back. They're seeking the Lord earnestly. Esther chapter 4, verse 13, Haman's plot to eradicate the Jews, what do they do? They proclaim a fast, seeking the Lord for protection and a way forward. What do we do with this great threat looming, the eradication of Israel? What do we do? They proclaim a fast. One from the New Testament, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. A worship service at the church in Antioch, and in that worship service, as they're seeking the Lord's direction, what does this Holy Spirit do? Calls out Paul and Barnabas and sends them to be church planters. They're seeking the Lord for guidance as they worship, and he leads them. He provides the guidance, and they start planting churches throughout the Roman world. So grief, repentance, and then an earnest seeking of God for provision, for protection, for guidance. In all of these applications, where does the focus lie? That's the key question. Is it on ourselves? Is it on others? No. Fasting is a tool to gain focus on the Lord, laser focus on the Lord. Whether you're seeking him in grief, in repentance, or just seeking his guidance Laser focus on the Lord, attention to God, on his character, on his power, on his promises. That's what we need. In times of fasting, we want to seek him, his beauty, his power, his promises. That's worship in a nutshell. Seek the Lord. He promises to be found by those who seek him. And that's one of the greatest blessings of fasting. If we could finish the story that I began with, you know, I could tell you a week or so after I got married, the Lord did provide a job. That, that's not the goal of the story. He, he certainly did provide. The goal was that I learned to seek the Lord in my time of need, and my heart was drawn close to him. Yes, he provided, but that's not the great goal. The goal is worship. And I drew near to my Lord through a time of fasting, first time I ever did it. I want to encourage you, what would it look like for you in the next 30 days to take time to fast. And what I want to do is just conclude with a, a few tips. I am no expert on fasting. There are people in the congregation who fast more regularly than I do, and it's not about a tally system at all, but just based on my study of Scripture and some experience, uh, a, few, a few tips. First, if you've never fasted before, start small. Start with a meal. And let one meal... A breakfast, turn into two meals, a breakfast and a lunch. Just start small. Be realistic with your goals. Set attainable goals and seek the Lord during that. And in, in time, two meals will turn into three meals, a, a full 24-hour fast. And in time, 
you can expand beyond that. I think there is also wisdom in, in consulting a doctor if you have various health needs. Very, very wise to do that. But start small, attainable goals. Don't, don't proclaim a three-day fast for yourself if you've never done it. Start small. Use scripture. Use scripture. Take your Bible with you that day, wherever, and, and, and as the rumblings in your stomach happen, open your Bible and remind yourself, I do not live on bread alone. I live on every word of the mouth of my Father. So let Scripture guide you and let your hunger pangs prompt you to pray. To pray. And we will be reminded that we depend on the Lord. In the end, that's what fasting does. It just reminds you, I would shrivel up and die apart from the Lord's provision. I mean, that, that, that's what we're saying. If I don't eat, I don't live. And that's true. And fasting has a way of heightening your dependence upon the Lord. In him you live and you move and you have your being. Colossians chapter 1, in him all things hold together. If the Lord did not command your heart to beat, it wouldn't beat. If the Lord did not call the collagen in your body to hold your tissues together, it, you would disintegrate. We are dependent upon him, and fasting has a way of quickening us to that realization. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Now, if you're not a Christian, and this is the first time you've heard of spiritual fasting, you may be think, thinking this is far out. I would just encourage you, if you've ever had to give, give blood, you have fasted. If you've ever had a surgery, you have fasted. If you've ever had a colonoscopy, you've done more than fast, and you know what I mean. Purposeful withholding of food. That's in the medical field. And all I'm saying is spiritually, fasting is purposeful withholding of food from yourself. What's the purpose? Laser focus on the Lord. Draw near to the Lord. Same thing. It may seem strange to you, but you do it in the medical field all the time. Purposeful withholding of food. Food. And so it is with spiritual fasting, purposeful abstaining from food to zero in on the Lord and draw near to him. I want to encourage you this final point. Jesus knows fasting more than you do. Our Lord fasted 40 days for you. The Lord fasted, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, 40 days, a fast that you and I could never have done. And it was a private fast except for two sets of eyes. And you know who those were? His father who sustained him and the devil who tempted him. And as he fasts, the devil threw everything he could at Jesus. That temptation, make this bread from a stone? Jesus could have done that. He was starving. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. Can you imagine that? He endured it. He endured it. He was perfectly obedient for you and for me. So as you fast, remember the one who had a greater fast for you, and it was part of his perfect obedience and ultimately his perfect sacrifice for you to ultimately draw you near to the Lord Jesus. As you fast, remember that you can have communion with the Lord because he fasted for you, a greater fast than you'll ever know, so that you could be drawn near 
We can't draw near to him without his sacrifice in our place, his perfect obedience. His fasting was part and parcel of that when he withstand, withstood the devil's temptation perfectly, perfectly obedient. It's the perfect sacrifice. We can have fellowship. Remember that as you fast. And if you're not a Christian, that's your first step. Not fasting, trusting. Trusting in Jesus, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he accomplished your salvation. And then subsequently, after trusting in him, you practice that spiritual discipline to encourage your heart and to draw you near to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your word. What a privilege it is to study it and to read it in community, in small groups, as individuals. Lord, would you help Beacon Community Church to be a church that practices the spiritual disciplines regularly, not for the praise of others, but that we might draw near to you as individuals and as a church family collectively. Help us to be motivated by the right things. Search our hearts, Lord. Draw us near to you. Lord, I pray for some, even in this gathering, that are desperate for your guidance, desperate for your protection, desperate for your provision, desperate for repentance. Lord, help us to take a next step of application and, and to begin to fast just as a tool to draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.